Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. Good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. There are times in life as, uh, as things just change. If it's whether we, when we have kids, you, you know, you get married, um, then the, your perspective just has to change on life a little bit. And then it, it changes how you then view things from then on out. There are also things that happen just in the world that cause the same thing, changing of technologies, whatever it is, that all of a sudden your perspective has to change, how you operate on a daily basis needs to change. And, uh, and then there are some things that it's just hard to get your mind around. I have become, uh, I'm calling, it's a title I have for myself, a line evangelist. I've talked about this so many times, I can't even remember if I've talked about this in a message. But I'm going to talk about it today just to open it up in the first place. I have been obsessed with a city that's being built in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia that's called The Line. Uh, if you haven't looked this up yet, don't. Because it will take you down a rabbit hole for hours. You'll spend your entire day on this. This is what it looks like, what it's going to look like. Here's the idea. Uh, A bunch of people got together who have way too much time on their hands and way too much money. And they just said, "What what if we could transform what cities look like? Rather than millions and millions of people spread out for miles, what if we just put everybody together and sent them up high and sent it long? This is, I kid you not, this is being constructed right now in Saudi Arabia. It's not like a dream. It's happening. By 2030, people will begin moving in. They've already built the shipyard uh, in the Red Sea, getting ready for this. That is a 500-meter-high city, only 250 meters wide and 12 miles long. When it's completed, it will hold 9 million people. Wherever you live in this city... Uh, you will only be a five-minute walk from everything that you need. Your, your, uh, your house, your job, school, marketplace, restaurants, it's all designed. No cars in the entire city because it's just basically one massive building and you just ride electric trains up and down and drones deliver whatever it is that you need to your house. And I want to live there so badly, <laughs> right? It, it is... Here's the thing, when you start watching these videos and you see the construction and the minds behind it, it hurts your brain. You're like, this, I think this is fake, and in some way there's part of you that's like, I think this is wrong. I don't know why, but it just feels like so far out there. There's got to be some, somebody's, got, there's a whole bunch of conspiracy theories about it too, that they're building it so they can listen in on people's conversations and stuff, because that's what we do as humans. Anything cool, we have to destroy right away with our conspiracies. Um, but I think that it is probably one of the coolest things, and it's one of the biggest projects that any, that mankind has ever uh, undertaken. I say all of that just to lead us into uh, the message today that that Jesus has been talking for quite some time, the last couple of months, uh, from the beginning of of Matthew chapter 18, on rethinking the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's had to to talk to his disciples, to the Pharisees, to the people that were following us, go, look, you've seen the world one way for far too long. I want to tell you how it's different now that I'm in charge, my kingdom. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus talks about it, we oftentimes only think about eternal someday, streets of gold and mansions in glory, but the kingdom of heaven is Christ's reign over this earth now and forever. And so Jesus is having to help his disciples think, this is how I want you to live in my kingdom. You see it one way, but I'm changing things. I'm kind of turning your world upside down. And so you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to embrace this new world that is being created, even though it might not make sense to you. And so what started as as the disciples having a conversation and Jesus saying, what are you talking about? And they're talking about, well, we're just wondering who the greatest is in the kingdom of heaven. And they're not asking about the great heroes of their faith. They're asking for themselves. Hey, of us 12, Jesus, which one of you, I mean, which one of us really is kind of your favorite? You tell me later, right? Don't don't say it in front of everybody. It'll be embarrassing for them, right? But who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? 
And then Jesus has to really kind of slow their roll. And, and then he starts to, to talk about, you know, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who's the most humble here on this earth. That, that when, you, when you live here, you live differently. Because this world says to puff yourself up. This world says do whatever it takes to get applause. This world says that your identity fully depends on what others think of you. And Jesus says, but in the kingdom of heaven, in my reign, I'm looking for people who are willing to be nothing for the sake of others coming to know me. For I'm, I'm looking for those who are willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel. And then he goes on and talks about, really, in this world, the world would say, if, if you've got a hundred sheep and one wanders off, it's only one, let it go. It's not worth risking the other 99. What does Jesus say? In my kingdom, it's the opposite. You leave the 99 and go to find the one because every one is valuable and important. Then he goes on to teach. He says, in the world that we live in today, people see this perspective that when times get tough in your marriage, walk away. But in my kingdom, I say, you fight for it because of the covenant that you've made, because of the relationship, how it reflects the, the relationship between myself and the church. Jesus goes on and on to tell over and over again stories and parables and application of saying this world looks at things one, one way, but you, follow my followers, disciples of my kingdom, you're going to live differently. In the 1960s, over in Tanzania, in a middle school, there was a young boy, his name was Arasto Mpemba. And uh, you've probably never heard of him unless you've heard of the Impemba Effect, which is named after this young boy. Uh, but what happened was that uh, Erasto and his buddies were in like a home economics class in middle school, and they were learning how to make ice cream. And they mixed uh, the sugar and the milk, and they brought it to a boil. And then the teacher said, now you have to take it off and you let it cool. And once it's cooled to room temperature, we're going to pour it in these cups, and you're going to put it in the freezer, and you're going to have ice cream. Well, there wasn't enough room in the freezer for everybody in the class. It would only be about half. So Erasto was like, he was too excited. And he just thought, I'm just, I'm just going to pour mine out and I'm going to put it in the freezer right away. So he took his boiling hot uh, ice cream mixture, put it in a cup, put it in the freezer. And a few hours later when they went to look back, they pulled everybody's out. And the only person's ice cream that was frozen was Erasto's. The, the one person who didn't let it cool to room temperature. About three years later, he's now in high school, he's in a physics class, and he asked the teacher, he's like, there's something that's been bothering me for quite a few years and I never bothered to ask, but why do hot liquids freeze faster than cold liquids? And the teacher laughed at him. He's like, what, what are you even talking about? That, that's not, that doesn't make sense. It goes against the law of thermodynamics, which I don't know what that means, but it just does. And, 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 uh, and so everybody kind of laughed at him. And, and then um, a few months later, there was a, a professor that came in from the university, and he was speaking to the class, and Erasto asked him the same thing. And the professor was like, no, that doesn't really fit with the law of thermodynamics. Cold would, would freeze faster uh, than hot would, obviously. It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. But the professor was interested, so he went home, and he took his ice cube tray, and he, and he filled it with hot water, and he took another one, and he filled it with cold, put it in the freezer. And you've all probably done this, because your grandmother's told you to, and it works. Hot freezes faster than cold does. Hey, I, don't, I don't know why. And, and actually, there have been over 100 papers written on the, on the Impemba effect, and nobody really can quite yet explain why, why it works that way. Why does something hot freeze faster than something cold? You have a very busy afternoon. Make an ice, ice cubes and looks Googling the line, all of this. Uh, um, but... It doesn't make any sense to us, and so we think that it's, well, that's wrong. I can't, just like the teachers and the professor, right? It's wrong. It doesn't make any sense to me. But the Impemba effect is true. And, and all of this to say that the disciples are getting another lesson today from Jesus through a parable uh, about the kingdom of heaven we think differently, we live differently, we act differently than the world. We're always going to have that tug, right? That the world is going to pull at us. Uh, that's, that's going to say, 
you need to elevate yourself, you need to be applauded, you should be great, and it, and it, it digs at us too. Well, yeah, I want to be recognized, I want to, be, I want to know that I'm getting a lot for what I'm investing into this spiritual life that I am, and Jesus says, shame on you, right? He says it to me every time that I think in my mind, right? Like, come on, God, I'm a pastor, don't you think I deserve a little more? And, and he's going, you, you don't get what you deserve. That's called grace. What we deserve in life uh, because of who we are, our nature, our sin nature, and a passionate pursuit of self is we deserve an eternity of being separated from God. And he gave up his son, Jesus Christ, to give us life. I've already received more than I deserve. Anything else is, is just an added blessing. But Jesus is saying to the disciples, humble yourselves, guys, because... It's like this, and he leads into uh, this parable. This world might not make sense to you. And Jesus ended the chapter 19 with the last will be first and the first will be last. It was this reminder of, hey man, if you think you're so important, I hate to tell you this, but in the end you're going to find out the reality and the truth of it all, that the kingdom of heaven operates differently. And the reason we struggle with it is because, because a mindset of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven, it grinds and it rubs against what our sinful nature wants. Me. See me. Elevate me. Applaud me. Appreciate me. Now, should we care about one another? Absolutely. But that's the point. If we're caring for each other, nobody has to worry about themselves. We elevate, we take care of one another. That's Acts chapter 17, one of my favorite verses. It's why we have the youth room, the basement upstairs, kind of after this passage. But the apostles go to Thessalonica and they're preaching differently. They're living differently. They're living for the kingdom of heaven. And it's rubbing against the culture of the day. And what do the people accuse them of? Turning their world upside down. Right? These who have come here with this message and the way that they're living, they're, they're changing things. They're turning it upside down. And we don't like it. And that's what the kingdom of heaven does. It's a totally different way of living here on this earth today as we live for Christ. And it rubs against the ways of this world. And so Peter's question to Jesus, well, if a, a person who loves the things of this world can't get into heaven, then man, who, who can? Like, how is this going to work? And Jesus, again, has to say, well, it's not about the stuff. It's about what you worship. It's about humility. And God, uh, Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. He does the work. He does the saving. With man, it's impossible. And the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. So to kind of drive this point home, Jesus tells this parable. A parable is an, an earthly story that we can understand, but it's got a heavenly meaning. So don't get lost in what Jesus is saying. This is an actual event that took place. Jesus is telling a really great story to help the disciples, just kind of on their level and for us as well, to understand more about the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. This is what it says. The first 16 verses of chapter 20. If you uh, would, let's stand physically or... Um, in your heart, we just honor, we elevate God's word. We ask him to do a great work through it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again at the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. About the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing and said, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And the master said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. 
Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Father, just in these next number of minutes that we have together, may you speak clearly to us through your word. This is your time to do your work. Our hearts are open to whatever it is that your Holy Spirit desires to do. Amen. You could have a seat. So let's just start. We're going to fix our eyes, see things from a different perspective. First, we have to understand the depth of this story and what Jesus is really trying to explain. He's pulling out of real life for some application. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out to hire laborers for his vineyard. This is the master is God. Whenever we hear about the master in Jesus' parables, it's God himself. And he goes out and he chooses people that will come and be his. They will work for him. They will serve him. He's the one that goes out and finds people in need. Because in this day, it's, it's actual practical application. Uh, when the second temple was finished, when Herod uh, finished building the temple... Uh, it took so many years and so many men to build this thing. When it was over, there were between 18 and 25,000 men around the city of Jerusalem that did not have any work. And people were, were going hungry. And so Jesus just kind of uses this. It makes sense. Uh, in the morning, there were a whole lot of men gathered in the marketplace who needed jobs. And so if you needed to hire somebody for some day labor, you would just show up early in the morning and you would take whoever was willing to come. And so the, Jesus says in this story that the master of a house and a vineyard needs some workers. So he goes to the marketplace at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, in uh, these days, uh, a work day was sunup to sundown, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's a 12-hour work day. So may we never complain about having to go from uh, work from 9 to 5. Uh, and so... He goes at 6 a.m. and he finds this group of men and says, I need you to work in my field. And it says they came to an agreement. In other words, there was a conversation. Well, what do you think it's worth for, uh, for us to come and work for you for a day for the work that we need to do in the scorching heat, the blazing sun? How about a denarius? Which actually was a very generous wage for what it is they were being asked to do. So this picture is being painted then of, uh, of whoever's listening to this parable that that God is a very generous master. That he comes and he chooses. And, and, and it's up to him uh, to agree with, this is what, what you will receive for coming with me. And they agreed with it. Like, that sounds great. But then the bit of the problem that starts is that then he goes back at 9 a.m. And he gets another group of guys. Uh, and then he goes back again at noon, and he goes back again at three, and they all come and work, but there was no agreement. It j he just says, the master says, I'll pay you whatever I feel that I would like to pay you. And then there's one final group at five o'clock with an hour to go. As everybody else is kind of tired and they're wrapping it all up, there's a, a group of guys that show up at five o'clock. Well, why, why are you standing here idle, the master says. Well, nobody... Nobody ever has hired us. And he says, well, come with me, and, and, and I'll, I'll pay you for, for the work that you do. Well, the end comes, the end of the day, and they all line up, and he tells his foreman, he says, start with the, the last ones hired and pay them. And so they get a denarius. And so obviously, because they're human, right, just like us, if the guy who's only been working for an hour, whose fingers aren't even dirty, hasn't even broken a sweat, uh, gets a denarius, you can imagine the guys at the other end of the line are like, oh man, can you imagine what we're going to get? It is going to be so much. And it comes down to them and they also get the denarius that they agreed to when they started the day. Everybody was given to generously. And 
the first workers were so upset and so angry. They thought that they were going to get more and they began to complain and grumble about how they had to serve the master when he said, but, but this is what you signed up for. This is what you agreed to. Friend, I've done no wrong. It's important the master says that. Friend, I didn't do this because I don't like you. I didn't do this because I think there's something wrong with you. We have the same relationship that we had when I called you. When I chose you to come and, and to serve me. And those words that are key, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? That, that's, that's an application that we're supposed to have as we see God as the master. Is God not allowed to do whatever he wants to do with everything that he has and whoever he chooses to do it with? Do you think I'm too generous, he asks? Do you begrudge my generosity? The original language is, why do you give me the evil eye? Right? Why, why do you think I've done something negative, something wrong? By being generous to others. Because I've been just as generous to you. And Jesus says, so the last will be first and the first last. It's, it's, this parable is sandwiched between that, that phrase of put yourself in the right position. One of humility. Ultimately, this is a parable about discipleship. How we operate in the community of believers, how we view and celebrate God's work of salvation and redemption in this world, because there will be some, myself included, that will know Christ their entire life. Right? I, I was in elementary school at a family camp, and and a movie that we watched, and I learned about uh, deeper in a way that I finally understood sin and the need of a rescue, and the need of a perfect uh, Savior, and God's Son, Jesus, dying on the cross and conquering the grave. And, and if we accept that, receive it, then, then eternity, a relationship with God is ours. Our sins are forgiven. And I got it. I understood it. My mom and dad knelt by my bed, prayed with me. I remember it really, really well. And, and my entire life, just being an, a normal human being, the rise and fall. You ride that roller coaster, the spiritual life, but always knowing that there is a God that loves and rescues, that forgives, and that I have a Savior that I can trust in, that turned into then being a pastor, being in the ministry, and, and trying my best to fight against self, but then also to serve others, and to think that the same Jesus that I've had my entire life and the same Jesus that I've tried to serve my entire life and thinking about eternity, I get eternity. Right? That's what we're supposed to focus on. What did I get? I get peace, I get joy, I get hope, I get love from Him. But there's the human side. We all have it. That, yeah, but, but I'm going to get a little extra, right? Right? You, you, you've seen my business card, right, Jesus? I mean, there's kind of, there's oftentimes that attitude, or we, we all have the same, we can make a list of all the great things that we've done, and we think about, I'm getting a mansion, you know, up in heaven, maybe mine will be in a better neighborhood than some other people, you know, I mean, we, we get into this weird mindset of the earth, earthly stuff. There are also people, because I've been a part of it, and I've stood there, there are people who have not known Christ their entire lives, and within hours of their final breath in the hospital bed, they understand the gospel and they give their lives to Christ. And, and what we've received, the greatest gift, the greatest reward that we've received, uh, whether it's you who have known Jesus your entire life and served him so well, or a sinner saved by grace on his deathbed, we all receive the same reward. Jesus. Sins forgiven and eternity with Him. God's grace. 
And, and because of that, what Jesus is saying, so nobody can, nobody can think they're, that they're better than anybody else. Because everything that we do comes through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us because of Jesus Christ. Right? Nobody is better than anybody else. And, and nobody's worse. We're all sinners, saved by grace. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to see everybody is as in need of me, and you do whatever it takes to make sure that they hear that message. They need to be rescued. And so the master is just wondering, he's like, why are you, I can't believe it. We understand it because this happens in our world today, right? I can't believe that they're getting something better than me. Or what's worse, and they actually, they actually say it here, the, the workers are like, I can't believe that you've treated them as an equal to me. Do you not know how good I am? Do you not know how talented I am? Do you not know the work that I have put in? I cannot believe that they are getting the same payment as I am, which tells me that we really didn't understand the generosity in, of, in the first place, those first workers. And the response is, why are you so upset with how well I treat others? It's a great question that we have to ask ourselves. Why is it? As, if we truly understand the gospel, we know what we've been saved from. Why does it irk us when other people seem to have these moments where they can come and and they can testify to some great thing that God has done in their life. And we somehow have to downplay it. Well, I know why. Envy. Jealousy. Right? We, we, we don't, we have such a hard time celebrating one another in the body of Christ. Because one, well, I want that to happen to me. And then there's guilt. Maybe it's not happening to me because I've done X, Y, Z. But it's up to the master how generous he wants to be with people. He's like, I was generous to choose you. That's what you're missing. I was generous to come and find you, to bring you in, and, then, and now you get a denarius on top of that. I'm taking care of you. I'm watching over you. I'm providing for you. Is that not enough? Why, why do you think that you deserve more than this other person? What we need to do is we need to understand God's justice and his grace the intended reaction that jesus would expect from the disciples is he, he wrote it into the story as he's telling it it's the words that we love to say all the time that's not fair right we say that so much when when we see good things happening in other people's lives well that's not fair do i I could make you a list, God, of how I'm so much better than them at living this life and serving you and loving other people. It's not fair. You've made them equal to us. So in other words, what they're really saying is you really lowered us down to them. And we're offended by it. It's not fair that the last will be first. It's not fair that the guy on his deathbed gets the same eternity as me who've given you my entire life. Right? That was Peter's question. Well, Jesus, we've given up everything for you. What are we going to get out of the deal? And Jesus is reminding him that, what do you get out of it? You get eternity. He had just said, when, when all is said and done, there will be 12 thrones and, uh, in, in eternity, and you're going to rule on them, and you're going to judge over the people. And, and everybody else, he says, is going to receive a hundredfold. In other words, uh, everybody who enters into eternity is going to receive so much more than what this world could have to offer that you can't even imagine it. Hundredfold just meant, you might as well just say, a billion, it's a billion times better than anything you can imagine here on this earth. So don't even imagine it. Just live out of the joy of your salvation every day and, and let other people do it as well. Celebrate one another. Fairness. That's what they're crying for. We want it to be fair. Well, fair in their minds. Right? We worked all day. We should get more. Not give them less. Well, if you're going to give them a denarius, give us 
We want more. We have expectation that, that we're going to get more. I will tell you this. The mindset of fairness is the killer of generosity. That, that's, that's what we find in this text. Well, we want you to be fair. That's what the, the workers say, but the master says, fair? Fair would have been for me to not hire any of you. Generosity is what I'm about. Yes, God is fair in the sense that he is, we find that word in Scripture is called justice. But justice in Scripture is a fairness that comes through love. That's, that's the important thing. That God in his justice, Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. When, when God commands us to seek justice, it doesn't mean that our job is to go out, you know, like Batman, looking for the bad guys and hold them down. No, justice in Scripture, every time that God tells us to go and seek justice, it's followed by, so uh, serve the widows and lift up the oppressed and feed the orphans. It's not go find those that are doing wrong and push them down. It's go find those who've been pushed down and lift them up. That's God's justice. Now, He is a just God. He is a holy and He is a righteous God, and He needs to punish sin. He cannot be in the presence of holiness, and so justice also is because I love all of you, I'm giving you the opportunity to follow me or not follow me, but if you don't follow me, there will be also my loving justice. And I will let you go. Remove from me. But those that follow, I will call you and take you to myself. Justice is doing what's right. And only God sets the standard for what's right. He is the absolute truth. And He gives it to us and tells us in His Word. He always does what's right. He always does what's just. He always acts accordingly into that. He loves and at the same time as there is justice, there is also grace. God's generosity. Verse 14, he says, I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Grace. Undeserved favor. I'm going, yeah, yes, I'm giving it to them. Yes, maybe it doesn't seem like to, in your eyes they worked for it. But maybe... Maybe in the master's eyes, even the guys that started at the beginning of the day didn't work as hard as maybe the guys that worked for now. We don't know the intricacies of what took place because Jesus doesn't expand on it in the story. What we know is that all of it was out of generosity by the master. God acts in grace. And grace is only grace when it's given freely and not earned. The master had made up his mind before the day even began. I'm just going to bless some people today. If we were to break down justice or what's right, God gets to decide that. How he doles out his grace, he gets to decide that. Romans 9.14 says, so what do we say? Can we say there's any injustice on God's part? Not at all, because as God said to Moses, I will have mercy on those I choose to show mercy, compassion on those I choose to have compassion. In other words, it might not make sense to us, but if God determines it, our job is just to accept it. If the master says it's so, then we live into it. The question is, can we celebrate the fact that that every person who comes to know Christ is rescued from an eternity in hell. Rescued from a lifetime on this earth of a living hell. Of not having peace and not having joy and not having hope. And when we see someone, we hear of someone, when we know of someone who comes to Christ or has, has decided I'm, I'm all in on this discipleship thing and I've been leading people to Christ, I'm serving God, whatever way that they can, that we, that we just go, yes, thank you, well done. And we celebrate them rather than, 
you know, like I said, the envy or the jealousy or the downplaying. Why is it so hard for us to celebrate one another in the body of Christ? Just like these workers. Well, it's just not fair. Can we just forget fair? You know what's not fair? Is that, is that we live a life that, that's passionate about self. That we live a life that is passionate about the things of this world that Jesus has been talking about. Pursuing all of the pleasures of this world. And we deserve a separation from God. We deserve an eternal death. But what's not fair is that God said, I love you too much to see you separated from me. And so he takes his own son and he puts our sin, our guilt, our shame, our punishment all on him. The perfect sacrifice. He had done nothing wrong. That's not fair. That's where... In our minds, the injustice was shown is that all the sins of all of humanity were placed upon Christ upon that cross and we in some way are rescued? That's called grace. And it is amazing. And we're called to embrace it. Salvation is a free gift. This mind-blowing event that we can't wrap our heads around Jesus, why, so often, I, why, would you, why would you come and die for me? Because he loves. So what's our response? One is accepting it, right? Understanding our sin, repent of that. Understand what Christ did on the cross and, and thank him for it and say, so you can have my life now. Uh, I give my life over to you. I will follow you anywhere for what it is that you've done for me. And, and that's the reward. The reward is we get Jesus. We always want Jesus and. Right? I, I, we accept Christ for, for this salvation that we receive. To have peace in this life. And yet we still go looking for greater peace in this world. Why can't we be happy with what it is that the master has given to us. And embrace it. We need to reevaluate our motive. Because of his great love and his grace has been given to us, our response should just be wholeheartedly, yes, thank you. Nobody in this parable said thank you to the master for choosing them. But that needs to be our response. The master's compassion was based off the realization that every one of those workers needed to feed their family the same amount of food to keep them alive. And that's what he paid them for. I'm going to give you what you need. Not for the work that you've done, but because this is going to save you. And this is going to provide for your family. Receive it with joy. Don't think of yourself as first. Be willing to be last and serve however you need to serve. Love however you need to love. Worship however you need to worship. So that out of humility, that God would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you think of yourself as deserving more of God's grace and blessing than others, we're sorely mistaken. Jesus says you'll be lost forever. Hebrews 12, 2 says, so fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes focused on him. Let your heart, your mind Get wrapped around the gospel and then live into it for our sake and the sake of the people around us. That we remember that God is good all the time, that he loves us, he's chosen us, and he's rewarded us. Will you accept what he's given you or do you want more? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your words. Such a... uh, a beautiful thing to be able to dig into even just a story that helps us to understand you a little more. God, help us to understand ourselves as well. Help us to be those that could, could rejoice, could worship, could celebrate for the salvation that we've received. And, and also, Father, that we could actually celebrate the lives of other people. That we could lift up one another. That we could do this 
thing called life and ministry and discipleship together, the way that you've designed it. Help us to think less of ourselves, more of you. Fix our eyes on you. Amen. Please stand. Please stand.